Welcome to our new series, The Law Series. It is our honour to have a criminal solicitor from New South Wales. Samir Bunga, you've been a popular person on our channel. Thank you for joining us and helping to explain some of the things that are happening around New South Wales and Victoria specifically. Let's talk about New South Wales. What is going on with your police up there with your new COVID laws? Well, look, it's interesting up here. I've heard both sides of the story, but there's always bound to be some bad, always bound to be some good. There's people who support the way the police act. There's people who don't. Now, unless you're in that actual position where you are, let's just say, the accused or the person who's alleged to have done whatever the police are saying, you really don't know what it feels like. When I'm speaking to people who are on that side, they're saying they've been treated really poorly, they've been spoken to really poorly, and obviously that's going to lead to some sort of reaction. So I've seen a couple of videos of police effectively arresting people for not wearing a mask, which doesn't make sense by law. Arrest is the last resort and that's the way it's meant to be and only if no other options are available. But yet there's videos of people being arrested. The counter side of that is very different. People on the other side are saying, well, they must have done something or said something or did something so, or started some type of altercation for the police to do that. Let me just say there's good and bad and everything, lawyers, cops, anyone, right? But in this case, there's got to be more to it. It does, or I would believe there needs to be some type of investigation of what's going on. We should not be look, treating people poorly or arresting them because of not wearing a mask. It just doesn't make sense. It's not serious enough an offence to go down that path. But it makes me slightly uncomfortable to say the least. However, I would need to take that or try and attempt to take that objective standpoint and say, I need to know more before I can make a judgment. But based on my, I guess you could say, experience so far, I can tell you that kind of stuff happens and I get told it all the time. So it's really hard to make that standpoint and move away from stuff like this when you see that on a regular basis. So Samir, in Victoria, we've had this for a while. Now you've finally got it in New South Wales. When they issue a fine, what are they issuing? They're issuing you a, a uh, you've broken, what, a direction from the chief health officer. Is that a valid thing? Is that even a law? Effectively, and look, yes, it is. In short, it's essentially for public health and it's a temporary measure. So generally speaking, yes, it is. Now, we had this discussion previously. Do I think there's arguments that could be made? Yes, I do. Do I think they're going to be effective? I honestly don't know at this point. The problem is who's actually going to take it up there? Now, if I'm fined or someone in the legal profession or fraternity is fined, I'm sure they might actually make an argument for it. But look at this. Before we even get to that point, there's a number of other ways to deal with it. You can ask for a review, effectively from Revenue New South Wales, who's the first agency you'd go to, or you could even ask the prosecutors once you take it to court to say, hey, this is my defence, guys, pull it. And to be honest, they're probably going to pull it before it hits the court because they don't want it going that far. I don't think anyone really wants to see it going that far. But the police and I believe the authorities in general know that most people won't do that. They'll say, you know what, stuff this, 200 bucks, it's like a parking fine, 109 to $120. Most people will say, you know, pay it, get it over and done with. Or they'll be really agitated, really angry for a period of time. They'll think about it a week later, two weeks later, when they get that reminder notice and go, you know what, I'm paying this, I'll just deal with it next time. And this is probably what's going to happen. So effectively, it becomes a good way to raise revenue because I can't give you a percentage, but I'm pretty sure it's a high percentage of people are just going to pay the fine and let it be. Is it legal? Yes. At this point, I'd have to say it is. Is there an argument against it? I'm pretty sure there isn't. I've discussed this with other people in my fraternity. However, who's going to take it there? I can't tell you anyone that I know at this stage. Maybe if it happens to me, I can. But then again, 
even as a lawyer with the amount of time I have, I'm probably going to write to the prosecutors, do everything I can beforehand rather than going to court over a $200 fine, which effectively, if you look at it, most solicitors will charge you a half-day rate of $1,500 to $3,000. Some barristers are a lot more. So you've got to weigh it up. And the cost-benefit analysis, sorry, for most people is going to come out on the opposite end. And that becomes the ultimate issue, I feel. Okay. Well, Samir, down here in Victoria, we have good news is a huge majority of our COVID fines remain unpaid. So they are still in the system waiting to be tested. So let's talk about how you can challenge them, especially in New South Wales. What are your options? You get a fine, either you pay it and then it's done, or you said you the next step is to write to the police prosecutor. How do you do that? How do you get their details? Because when I remember being in New South Wales, getting a fine, there was no like, here's the prosecutor's details. So basically, I have to say, New South Wales is pretty good with this system now. We've come a long way. Now, generally, you'll get a ticket first, which will give you the option. Now, you can take that to Revenue New South Wales, and they're generally the first agency who will enforce it. Now, they will give you an option to get the fine review. So you do that online, which is pretty simple. You fill out a form, fill out your details, infringement number, whatever it is, then why you're contesting the fine or why you think you want it reviewed. I think it takes 30 to 40 days. They come back with a result. After that, if it's unsuccessful, then you elect to take it to court. When you elect to take it to court, it just depends on what court you go to. Now, generally speaking, let's just say, for example, I'm just going to use an example of the Downing Centre. It goes to the Downing Centre local court. That's where you're going to fight it. You then use the email for the prosecutors at the Downing Centre. Now, obviously, as a solicitor, I have access to this, and my colleagues do. The general public don't. So this is where you would then need to contact the court and ask them for it. Now, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to give out these details. Or you can possibly find out other options like the police station where the prosecutor sits at. But the problem is this isn't always easy. But when you do get that court attendance notice, when it, if, when it is elected to go that way or when you've taken it to court, it should have the details of the prosecutor on there in the police station. You make phone calls from there, you get that email address and that's who you write the letter to and essentially we call this a letter of representations amongst my colleagues in general but who you are writing to is a local area commander or the prosecution unit and this is a general prosecution unit of that court so the downing center would be one Parramatta would be another liverpool would be another and there's many other courts you could go to and that's how you'd go about doing it the right okay the process of writing the letters where it becomes difficult to know what to put in and how to do it Firstly, I'd suggest having a look at the legislation. Now, this is slightly a different topic, but on point as well. The legislation is meant to be about education. If you look at the mask mandate, it effectively says the police should not be using punitive measures. They should be educating us. And quite frankly, if you have a medical exemption, you don't even need a, a medical certificate for it. There's no need what for that. What act are we talking about here? What's the name of the act? Well, I can't recall offhand, to be honest. Ed, I'm trying to think of what it was called. I was just having a look at this previously. My head's not working. But when I find out, I can chuck that back up and link it to you or send you the PDF to put up. But it's in the bill itself that brought across, or should I say the mandate that brought across the mask and has made the mask, well, effectively wearing the mask mandatory. It's all in that. It actually has a measure. What Sorry. are we arguing in this letter to the prosecutor? So we, so we, so far we've elected to go to court. We've got to see a court attendant notice, and on there there will be details for the prosecutor. Or if there's not, we can ring the court that we're sent to, and we can ask them for contact details for either the local area commander or the prosecution office for that 
case. And then we can email them. And what do we say in the email? Basically now, obviously the details of the infringement, probably attached to the infringement. You want to give your main reasons. Now, this is where you want to look at the legislation. But generally, your, the legislation says that you obviously can take off the mask to drink water, eat, or in certain other circumstances. Now, what you want to do is use those circumstances, especially if you're doing it for a medical reason. Now, if you're doing it, for example, the fact that you couldn't breathe, and I know some of these masks make it incredibly difficult to breathe, I think that is a valid reason by what I see because that to me is a medical and a genuine medical reason. But going back from that, there's other ways to do it. Even if you can't link it to legislation, you can ask for leniency and say, look, I didn't have the mask on me at this time. This was the reason and go down that path. One line that everyone should add to it or add to the letter at the top somewhere is without prejudice. We generally or generally use that in our letters of representation to attempt to stop the prosecution from using that against you in court. And hopefully if you get a decent prosecutor, they're going to be like, okay, you know what, let it be. Let's just let this go. There's no need for this and issue you some kind of warning or some kind of letter saying, look, we'll, we won't run the matter, we'll withdraw the case. That won't always work, but if it does, good for you. If it doesn't, you then need to think about other options in running the matter. But generally, you do need to look at the legislation. It's always the first place to go. This, the mask mandate is actually pretty easy to read. It's not too hard. It's not drafted in a way that lay people shouldn't understand. But if there is, or if you do need other assistance, you can speak to lawyers who will, I'm sure, at least speak to you for five to 10 minutes on this point, because a lot of us don't want to see people fined for no reason either. So what is the incentive for the police prosecutor to withdraw? And what's the incentive for them to prosecute a, a fine? I've never understood what their goal, their incentive is to get a conviction. They don't get I money. Yeah, we'll see. I think different people tell you different things. For some, it's just statistics. For some, it becomes very personal. I've seen matters, now taking this away from the mask, criminal matters where it becomes very personal for prosecutors. A purely objective prosecutor who's actually working on their function in the law, which is to put all the evidence in front of the jurisdiction, so in front of the court, in front of the magistrate or judge to make the decision, will be more open to reading it and understanding. Someone who's got a personal bias is probably not going to do that. Now, the incentive for them, I don't know if there's any, oh, let's just say kickbacks behind the scenes. I'm presuming there's not. But what I can tell you is a lot of prosecutors take it very personally and they aim to beat any lawyer they come across or any person that they come across. Now, for example, if they are very much pro the mask mandate and they dislike people not wearing it, I think that's an incentive to prosecute it because they want to make sure that they win to set that example. If they're not or if they haven't decided, they sit on the fence, there's probably less incentive for them to do so because they're wasting time on a, let's just say they're wasting time on a case that they really don't want to be running because there's many more cases in their system, in their pile of files, and they're much more serious. So that's what they want to be doing. So a lot of this comes down to personality. Now, in certain cases, prosecutors are told, run it and run it till death. We don't care. Just do what you need to do, even if it's an unwinnable case. And that does happen. I've been told that a number of times by different prosecutors, and some of them are no longer prosecutors for that reason. Then there's other commanders and other prosecutors that take a very different approach. And it's like, okay, let's look at each case on a case-by-case -case basis and the merit of that case, and we'll run an open trial or let's just say open hearing. The problem is sometimes it's just a matter of who you get on the day and the personality. I've dealt with some great prosecutors. I've dealt with some ones that want to make your life tough. For example, a bail application, they'll oppose it for the sake of it. And this is no different. If they want to win this case and if they have an opinion on it, especially if they're pro-mask, 
I think they will fight you for the sake of it because they don't have anything to lose. They're not losing any money, a little bit of time, but no money. However, if it's not serious to them, I don't think they want to run it either because then it's a waste of time to them. So this is where personality plays a big part in the law. Okay. So the goal is to, the goal is to get them to say, look, this is not worth our time. So if your case is such that you had the mask on, but you brought it down to take a drink and, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a dodgy case for them, they're more likely going to drop that. Whereas if you've yelled at the cop, you didn't have a mask, you fought them for 10 minutes, you know, they're probably not going to drop that. That's a very good example and a very good way to put it. Now, I can give you an example, a personal one, which I had a mask in my hand. I had it off for about well, 30 seconds, maybe a little bit longer. My client had her mask on. My client happened to be a doctor. I was walking past cops. Just four police officers all came up to me. And quite frankly, they were very condescending. And I'm glad I had a witness to this and a witness who's a doctor as well because her Evidence would be very credible in court. And it also happens to be the jurisdiction and most of the prosecutors know me. So generally, I think I'd be believed in what I would say. But now if I was a different jurisdiction, I wasn't who I was. My client wasn't with me who happens to be a professional as well. Who's going to be believed? That's the problem. But yes, I was not rude to them. I definitely was slightly evasive. I was quite taken aback because I've been dealt with police, by police before, and for some weird reason, they just don't generally don't deal with me in a way that I would consider positive or nice to use that word. And that's what happened. It was quite condescending. Now I could have blown up. It's just, I know the system. So I know there's no point doing that. I'm shooting myself in the foot. So I didn't, but if someone doesn't, that could work against them. So I think your example is spot on and the best example to get to lay people. Don't be a dick. Even if they are, it's hard. I know it's hard. I've been there personally, which is what I'm saying. A number of my clients have too. You just need to play ball, stay calm, deal with it later. If you do anything, if, you, if you're standoffish, you're rude, they can turn this against you. And I've seen many clients end up being charged with resist arrest or assault police officers for the stupidest little things, even spitting not at the police officers themselves but in a different direction because spitting isn't assault. And that's what happens when people get really angry. I've seen it happen. Their mouth dries up and start getting really agitated, moving around, spit, uh, spit in various directions. Mm. It could work against you. So be smart. Okay. Samir, thank you for joining us for the first episode, going over why, you know, what is going to happen when you get a fine, what your options are. And uh, we've just started to move into how to respond to police officers, which we're going to cover in the next episode. So watch out for that. But most importantly here to take away from this episode is you have options. This is how you do it. Uh, and also get, some politeness on treat them with politeness and respect and that's your best way out of this stand up for your rights in a firm way but but with politeness and respect and and you're not going to inflame the situation and watch our next video to uh, talk about how uh, to deal with police and how different classes of people get treated samir thank you for joining us episode one done cheers man thank you